On today's episode of the podcast, I dive a little bit deeper into the journey of this pregnancy and what I am envisioning and wishing for when it comes to labor and birth. I talk a bit about my need to protect this baby, not wanting to explain myself too much. I'm not looking to debate any of the choices that I'm making for me, but just feeling this big need to share where I'm at right now and why I am choosing a non-invasive pregnancy and hoping for a completely non-invasive natural birth as well. So this is definitely a pregnancy episode. I loved sharing this with you. Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. It can save you money, keep you from wasting a day at a timeshare presentation, and help you avoid spreading gossip. To be honest, when I am faced with a new scenario, I usually tend to be a skeptic until something proves me wrong. And if you're like me, you can probably spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away and read labels like it's your job. That's where Ritual comes in. They know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. Their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Take two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption and you'll get nine key nutrients. Rituals Essential for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. On top of that, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I take my vitamins every morning with breakfast. It's part of my daily ritual and I feel so good doing it. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Let's jump in. Hello, my darlings. Welcome back to another episode of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. Just saying the name of this show puts such a huge smile on my face right now. I can't, I can't help it. It's not a big shift, you know, just shifting the name of this podcast. It's the same podcast, same content, same plan, same everything. But it it feels so in alignment just with where I am and where I think this year is taking me. And I I don't know, <laughs> somehow, all of a sudden, this podcast feels even more of my own. And for so long, for so many years of my life, everything I've done has been under the umbrella of Yoga Girl, right? Or as Yoga Girl, which is has been beautiful and amazing. I mean, all the magic I've created professionally has has been under the yoga girl or in the yoga girl world. So I, I don't know. I, I didn't expect to feel a shift inside of myself just from changing the name of the podcast. <laughs> I, in a way, it's like, um, I, I feel like I'm allowing myself to expand and be a little bit bigger, I think, than I was the old name of the show. 
like somehow this just being what the show is, which is literally me, I'm Rachel Brethen, and every week I sit down and I speak to you from the heart. It just feels so raw and real and somehow very expansive and allowing for me at the same time. That just, yeah, just sharing the intro of the show puts a smile on my face. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you all for being here. So I am sitting here right now. I'm in our bedroom, our new bedroom, the top floor of our house, which is not where I was planning to record the show. I I always have a little podcast corner and everywhere we live and everywhere I go, obviously recording this pod and recording the daily practice, the daily show that I do is a really big part of my life and my day. So I always have a little pod corner. And I have an office here in this house, which is also where I have all of my sacred things and my books. And I, I was really planning to, to have a corner, a little nook there in my, in my office to, to record the show. But it just wasn't the most natural place to do it. It's on the bottom floor, and that's where we all end up spending most of our time. So it's a little bit noisier. Also, the doors in this house are really, like it's a very old house house was built in 1909. So it's, yeah, it's a very old house. All the doors are are loud and the floor really creaks. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sounds, this house, just like old houses do. So I found myself just sneaking up to the bedroom. I put a little armchair up here in a little corner, just got a light up on the wall here today. So I have a little bit of a, I have so I can see. <laughs> I've been sitting here in the dark. No, it's starting to become really cozy in this little corner as well. And I think I'm going to make this my my permanent pod place. But yeah, so I'm sitting here in my little armchair up in our bedroom. I'm holding my hands to my belly. Uh, I'm sensing inside of myself right now just this very big urge to protect myself. I'm feeling fairly vulnerable today. I have all week. It's been a fairly vulnerable week for me. And I find every time I sit down or even standing up, I'm just constantly kind of like holding my my belly, not just in that pregnancy way where, you know, when we're pregnant, we have a hand there often, just like a little connection to the, to the belly or to the baby in the womb. But I find myself almost like covering the belly, like holding my arms all the way over the, over the baby. Like I want to give the baby an extra layer of protection and the reason that is, and I, I feel silly about this now, <laughs> like I'm beating myself up about it a little bit today, but I have been talking a little bit more just about pregnancy overall on my social media, which is just where I say stuff when it's on my mind, right? <laughs> Fairly unfiltered there. And I don't, I don't really have a, have a plan with what I share in a day. And I did a couple of interviews. This was like a couple of weeks ago, just here in Sweden. One, what was that for? I don't want to mess this up. One was for an app, like a really sweet like pregnancy app. And then I did one for, I think it's Sweden's biggest like maternity magazine, like parenting magazine. And I was on the cover of that magazine when I was pregnant with Leia. They've always been really sweet with me. 
I really like the magazine and the people who work there. And they just asked for an interview to like check in and, you know, how is pregnancy and the baby and having a second one and all these, yeah, regular stuff, right? And in this interview, it wasn't even an interview focused on this. They were, it was just like a generic question about like, how am I planning birth? You know, what are my thoughts for, for labor? And I mentioned very casually just that I, I want, I don't want any interventions for this pregnancy that I want to be as undisturbed as I possibly can be just during labor and that I am, I can't remember how I phrased it. I think I said, I am, I'm avoiding care. Like I'm not entering the, the medical system unless I feel there's a need. So instead of doing every single appointment and every single blood draw and every ultrasound and every, you know, every little thing, that's part of like what you're supposed to do when you're in the system as a pregnant person. I just didn't, you know, I didn't tell Sweden I was pregnant. <laughs> Aside from on this podcast, I didn't register the pregnancy. I didn't go sign up at a clinic. I didn't, uh, I, I didn't do the stuff, right? That most people do when they get pregnant. I'm just like, I'm just like taking my time and doing it my way. And how I mentioned it in this interview was just very casual. Like I'm just like not doing the whole systematic thing. You know, I'm doing this like in a natural way, just on my own. And this was picked up <laughs> here. Not like it became national news or anything, but in a, in a little way, I guess Sweden's a really small country. Like there's not that much that happens here. I feel like little things become big things. When I was pregnant, my cousin called my brother, not even me. He was like, Rachel's having a baby. He's like, yeah. Like, he's like, oh, well, thanks for letting me know. I found out in the newspaper this morning. It was like one of the big newspapers of the country had like yoga girl expecting second baby. <laughs> he was like pissed that he found out from the media and not from me. And I'm like, I didn't even get a chance to like, you know, I haven't seen you in a long time. Like, I'm, you know, we're not that close. Like I call about everything. He was making a joke, but I'm like, why would they write about me expecting my second? Like, is there, was there no news that day? Like at all, you know? So anyway, yeah, this thing that I said where I was just saying that I don't want to have a bunch of interventions and I want to do this just like on my own in my own way became kind of a thing and all of a sudden people are calling me and I had in the last couple days a lot of requests for interviews they asked me to come on Sweden's biggest like evening show uh, we hear you are refusing care <laughs> I had that phrase. We hear you are refusing care and you're criticizing the healthcare system. Uh, we would love to have you on the show to talk about this. And I'm just like, oh, oh no. <laughs> you know, some newspapers and magazines want me to, yeah. And and the way it's phrased now, it's like, like I'm this crazy rebel hippie person who's almost like I'm telling everyone who's not doing it my way that their their way is dumb. And I don't know, just like a, it just became a thing, right? And the last freaking thing I want is to be the face for some movement or to be, you know, debating and defending my choice of, of why I'm doing my pregnancy this way. It's literally the last thing I want to do. Um, I have no interest. Like I have no interest in even explaining myself 
right? Like one thing is like sharing here on the pod because I get to share my real feelings and I get to go into depth of like, this is my safe space, right? I can share my journey here with you completely the way it is. But on TV or on blogs or in a po- like another person's podcast or magazines or newspapers, like it's not my platform, right? And they will spin that and twist that. However, today there was like a debate article in Sweden's biggest newspaper, like yoga girl choosing the unsafe route or some shit like that. Um, it wasn't like a super negative article biased toward me. It also touched on the medical system in Sweden and the fact that we have huge issues when it comes to maternity care here and all the birth like sections of the hospitals are super full and overwhelmed and there's lines and there's lots of stories of like pregnant women being turned down at the door because there's no space for them to birth. And I mean, there, there's been like a crisis in this sector for a long time here. Depends on how you define crisis, but yeah, it's not great. So this article was touching on that and like, yeah, maybe it doesn't feel safe for women to, to be in the system. Even though Yoga Girl made this stupid, unsafe decision, maybe her decision is like justified because we have such issues with, you know, and I'm just like, I, I did not want any of this. <laughs> I have no interest in defending myself or explaining myself or sitting opposite of some medical person on a couch to explain why my way is the better way because that's it's, it's not what I want to do. And just in the past couple of days, I just, I've had this, and of course, a lot of people writing me and emailing me and DMing me, mostly Swedish people, criticizing me, right? Like, you are telling people to not get health care. Someone wrote me that. You are instigating fear among women Uh, who are already vulnerable and pregnant. Like you are urging people to not have ultrasounds and ultrasounds can save lives. I'm just like, I didn't say any of that shit. (laughs) Like, like I didn't do any of that. I didn't say any of that. What I have been criticizing is just the system, right? That's what, that's been my, my critique. The system that doesn't allow for a personal level of of intimacy and care, a system that wants everyone to do the exact same thing, regardless of if it's necessary or not. I'm not telling people to not do this and to make sure you do that. I'm just sharing what I am doing and what I'm not doing and maybe encouraging to ask questions. (laughs) Like, I think if anything, that's what I've been just kind of wanting to remind people that we don't have to surrender ourselves and all of our will and all of our power just because there's a doctor in the room, right? Or someone with a with a degree of some sort doesn't have to remove all of our own agency. Like we still have a right to find out like, why do you want me to do these things? Why are you pushing me to get induced this at this time? Or why are you telling me to take this drug or why do you want me to inject this thing into my baby or you know ask the question and I think just by asking questions we can get more information and we can make decisions that actually align with what we want versus just blindly following and doing whatever we're told assuming that that's the only way right
Do scents evoke memories and transport you back to being on the beach during your favorite vacation? I know they do for me. Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil smells like summer or the beach in Aruba, bottled with all natural uplifting notes of mango, mandarin, grapefruit, lime, and cypress. But it's not just about the elevated scent. This body oil is clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and deeply moisturize, leaving skin silky and soft. It delivers that coveted post-vacation glow, like you just returned from a tropical getaway. And right now, you can get 10% off your first order with our code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. I love Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil. I use it every single day and I have for so many years. It makes me feel silky smooth and just glowing. This body oil is rich but never greasy and clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity. It visibly firms your skin, leaving you more sculpted and toned. No wonder I feel so great after using it. But it gets even better. With Osea, you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Osea's products are clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. They are a women-founded company that has been making seaweed-infused skincare for over 28 years. So bring on summer. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skin and body care at Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. So (laughs) anyway, all of this now, it just, it led me to yeah, just kind of wanting to talk about my pregnancy on this show. I didn't actually, you know, I shared it was a couple episodes ago and I think it was an Ask Rachel segment. So it wasn't even a proper full podcast. And someone asked something about pregnancy and I ended up sharing a little bit about just answering one question about why I'm doing things or how I want to do things this time around. And that was weeks ago and I'm more pregnant now. And (laughs) I think I'm I feel a little bit more clear just around what I want and how I feel for this birth and for this baby and for this journey. And um, I also feel this need to, yeah, to protect myself a little bit more. And I felt silly about it today. I was like, fuck, why did I, I didn't have to talk about this, you know? Like I could just keep my mouth shut. Like if I don't want people to respond negatively or to criticize me for the choices I make, then I should just shouldn't share them. Right. But that also feels ridiculous in a way, you know, it's like, I don't want to live my life that way. Just making sure I'm, I'm not criticized or, or pushed in any way. So I should just be quiet about everything. Like that's not who I am. You know, that's not what I do here, but being pregnant is a way more vulnerable place to be than not being pregnant. And that feeling that I had in my first pregnancy, which is really the foundation of why I'm doing the second pregnancy so differently, that feeling that I had of the whole way through from the beginning, from finding out and telling the world I was pregnant or even telling, going to my first appointment when I was like, how pregnant were we? (laughs) Barely pregnant, you know, when you're just like missing a period and you're like, yay, let's go to find a midwife. Like that stage from that moment all the way until postpartum, I felt like I had to, I had to climb a mountain. Like I had to defend myself at every turn. And that just because I didn't blindly submit to, here's how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to go to the hospital 
a doctor is supposed to deliver the baby for you. If they tell you to be induced because they think your baby's too big or your belly's too big or your hips are too narrow or it's taking too long or the baby's overdue, then you just have to do that. Like you have no choice, right? (laughs) All of those things. Like I was already then fighting that because it felt intuitively so wrong to me. And just my decision early on, which was the most natural thing, and I never contemplated, I never contemplated ever choosing a hospital birth. I always wanted to birth at home. And from the moment I decided that, I, I, didn't, I didn't encourage, I didn't have a single appointment with someone. I didn't meet anybody. I didn't have, I wasn't encouraged in any at any part of that journey, there was nowhere where I met like a medical professional or a midwife or OBGYN or a, yeah, anyone who was like, oh, you want a birth at home? How lovely. How can I support you in that? It was every, every step of the way through, oh, but that's not safe. Oh, why would you do that? Oh, we don't really do home births. So what are you going to do if something goes wrong? Uh, okay, well, you know, I was just... I was just met with skepticism and reluctance and people looking at me like I was an idiot. And that at the time, I just felt like, well, this is just normal. Like, I'm just going to have to fight for what I want, right? I'm used to doing that. I didn't realize at the time how exhausting that was. Like every time I had to go to an appointment, I was bracing myself, really bracing myself, knowing I'm, I'm about to experience stress here in this appointment. Even if it was a new person that I was meeting for whatever reason, like I knew like this, I'm going to have to fight them. And it's my body. Like it's my baby. It's my pregnancy. And it, it just, it's, it, it, it wasn't until later that I realized how stressful that whole thing was for me. And how defeating it is to to not feel supported around the choices that you want to make for yourself in such a pivotal time of your life. Especially, you know, and this was all in Aruba, right? Aruba has a, it's a very Americanized island, but it has a Dutch healthcare system. And it's really odd because Holland and the Netherlands have a super positive view on home births. Um, one of the like Western countries in the world that have the most positive, and they have had for, for a long time, the highest rate of, of home births, where they encourage home births, and they have a system or used to have a system in place where midwives would come to you. And this was not like a strange thing at all. And then I've heard, I haven't asked around so much this year in this pregnancy, so I don't know what the status is right now in, in, in Holland here with this. But I've heard that in later years, they have kind of, gone backwards on that and now they're promoting hospital births more but in Aruba even though it was a you know Dutch derived system and a lot of the people I encountered in the system were Dutch as well or Dutch Aruban there it was just complete reluctance like completely there's one hospital on the island (laughs) when I was pregnant with Leia they they that year they got hot water at the hospital (laughs) we're talking 2017, they got hot water at the hospital. So you could take a shower. Imagining going through labor, having a hospital birth all the way through, and there's no hot water for you to to take a shower in. Like 
before or after labor. Like that was the case and the reality for birthing women on the island forever, like literally until 2017. I think a year after that or two years after that, they got a birth pool at the hospital. They've changed a lot of things. Like now, like since since I was pregnant, so I know it's a little bit more it's a little bit more of a more supportive environment at the hospital, but they still like now today when my best friend Olivia is pregnant, she's due end of February and she really wanted to birth her baby in Aruba. (laughs) Really, really, really. She, uh, yeah, it was just like something that she wanted to do. Dennis wanted me to have this baby in Aruba, getting a permit like to live in Aruba or permit a residency permit or, to get citizenry in Aruba is super, super challenging. I have it, of course, because I'm married to Dennis and Dennis is Aruban, of course. Leia will have it for the rest of her life because she's born in Aruba. She has an Aruban passport. And if we have a baby abroad and say in 10 years, like we want to move to Aruba as a family, we will have to fight for that baby to get a permit. It's a little strange that way. It's not automatic just because you're family. So there is also like a logistical, bureaucratic reason why it's good to birth your babies in Aruba if you're Aruban, right? Or if you have an Aruban family. So Dennis was also like, we need to have this baby in Aruba. We need to make sure both our kids have Aruban passports. And especially now we're living in Sweden, like he's scared he's going to lose his roots there or, you know, that we might have a complicated situation. And we're not, it's not like we're thinking that we're going to live in Aruba in a couple of years, but you never know, right? So Olivia and Patrick are best friends. Um, Patrick is Aruban. Patrick and Dennis have been best friends for a long, long, long time. And Olivia said, yeah, let's birth. Like, I'm going to birth at home anyway. So, like, who cares if I'm in Aruba or in Sweden? Like, there's no difference. (laughs) Like, if I'm in a tub in my house in Sweden or if I'm in a tub in our house in Aruba, like, let's go. And she ended up opting out of that. They had a big plan to spend four months on the island, to spend, like, the end of winter season there. It's the last year that our kids don't have to be in school. It's still preschool. It's still optional. By next year, there's a like obligatory school. So this is our last <laughs> last year of some kind of freedom from school, I guess. So it is a good time if you want to take a longer trip or do something like now is a really good time. And they had that plan to spend three or four months there. And before we knew we were pregnant, we were like, yes, let's all go together. Like, you know, we'll have the last of the winter season there. Perfect plan. And then she couldn't find a single midwife on the island that would support or allow her to give birth at home. Literally does not exist right now, which is so heartbreaking and so sad. And for her, that was like, uh, no, like, yeah, if I can't birth at home there, then we can't be in Aruba, you know, then we're going to be in Sweden. So... (laughs) You know, and I'm sharing this just because I had my experience in that country last time. Of course, every single country in the whole world is totally different. Everyone has a different way of doing things. And it, of course, comes down not just to the country and the system, but the person and the people you end up with, I think, of course, have the biggest impact. You can find a super open, very hands-off you know, promoter of natural birth at home, um, midwife who works in the system in the day-to-day, like those people exist, right? But it's rare to end up in that place. Most people who work in the conventional way have the conventional way of thinking, right? And like, this is how we do it. This is how it's supposed to be. So 
the, that feeling that I had that everything was an uphill battle. And it wasn't just in Aruba. It was because I'm a public person and I do a lot of, <laughs> I share so much of my life out loud. We spent a lot of time in Sweden during my pregnancy last time. Did a lot of press. I had a tour here. I think my, my book came out. Oh no, no, that wasn't a book release. What was it? 2016, 2017, I was pregnant. I think we just had some really big events. I think I had a class. I had a thousand person class in a big, in a big venue in Stockholm. I think that's, that was what we did. We had one of my biggest classes I ever taught was when I was seven or six months pregnant with Leia and it was in Sweden. And I did a lot of press for that and magazines and, and TV and stuff. And of course, since I was pregnant, that question kept coming up, you know, so you're going to birth at home. Like, why would you choose that? And not why would you choose that with some like intrigue and excitement and tell me and curiosity kind of thing. But why would you choose that as in like, don't you want your baby to live? I literally had people tell me that. <laughs> don't you, don't you care about your baby safety or, or your own? <laughs> um, and that feeling that I had from that, from feeling like I had to fight my way to get to what I wanted, that's a little bit of the same feeling that I'm sitting with right at this moment. <laughs> like, like all of a sudden, although I feel crystal clear of what I want for this pregnancy and what I'm doing, I now have to defend myself. I now have to explain. I now have to debate. I now have to, you know, and it's just, I have, I don't want to. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. So I, I've just turned every single interview down. I'm not going to go on TV. I told both of those TV shows that if, like, I, I, I have no interest in being like the person to carry this discussion. It's a huge discussion. Like it's a really important thing. And there are amazing people out there who literally do this work every day. Like there's midwives and people out there who support and promote home birth and a more natural way to support women giving birth, like allowing women to birth in a more undisturbed way compared to the interventions that you get at every twist and turn at the hospital. Like there's great people to talk to. Like I'm not that person and especially not while pregnant. <laughs> so I, I hope it, it feels a little bit clickbaity. You know, this is like a controversial thing all of a sudden that I'm doing. So I'm sure it sells. People think it's stupid and dangerous and reckless. And, you know, they can make really interesting headlines out of my own personal choice. And then people are going to click on that or watch that or read that. Um, so maybe it's not even an interesting discussion for them to have if there's not some semi-celebrity part of it, right? I don't know. We'll see if this becomes anything, anything else or anything a little bit more grounded. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. But yeah, so today I am, I'm almost 19 weeks. Tomorrow, I, 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 I like end of the week <laughs> is my turn of the week. So I'll be 19 weeks 
um, in a little bit. It's almost halfway through, which feels (sighs) scary (laughs) in a way. Time is moving so slowly and also very quickly at the same time, especially beginning of pregnancy. I felt like it was just so slow. Um, I wanted, you know, I wanted to get to the next place. Kind of, I had that, that feeling in the beginning. I was worried about miscarrying. Also, I had some bleedings at the beginning of pregnancy that made me feel really nervous. I was like, I want to get to a later stage. I want to get into second trimester. I want to get, you know, just for a feeling of, of more calm. And right now, all of a sudden it feels like, wait, I'm halfway through. What? Wait, I'm, I'm going to be four and a half months away from, from actual labor, from actually meeting this, this new, this new little soul that's here in my womb right now like that. I could cry thinking about that. It's easy to get so caught up in the minutiae and the details of the day-to-day and pregnancy and planning for labor and all this stuff. And it's like, hey, like if I just like step back and take a breath, there's a there's a human joining our little tribe here at home. We are gonna be four people in this family. <laughs> and that just feels it, it 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 feels so wild. It feels so big. It feels so earth shatteringly crazy, and also so very natural and and to be expected at the same time. I I don't know, but so yeah, I'm, I'm 19 weeks. I'm feeling really good. Aside from back pain, I've had back pain since right before Christmas. I really think I actually injured myself just in the move. I was just way overdoing it. And yeah, I still feel that pain. It's kind of like my right, right side of my lumbar spine. I'm getting some help now. I'm seeing an osteopath about it and getting some body work. And that's really, really helping. But aside from that, I don't have any any ailments. I don't have any pain. I don't have any headaches. I don't have any nausea. I don't have... I I feel good. I feel good. I'm I'm nesting, I'm unpacking, I'm, <laughs> I'm busy making every nook and corner of this house cozy. We still have so many things to unpack and, and fix and get ready and install and all that. I mean, this is going to be a very long process, not just the house, but the farm on its own. It's just such a big, huge <laughs> life project. And um and and yeah, and I'm starting to feel like birth and labor, it's starting to feel more real. Early, early pregnancy, it feels so far away. It feels like this thing that like future Rachel will will manage that. And I'm like, future Rachel is almost here. (laughs) All of a sudden, it's going to be, it's going to be here and it's going to be time. So, so far, I, uh, (laughs) I, I, I haven't had any, uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't done anything <laughs> with this pregnancy. I, um, I, I I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to have been doing up until this point. I found out last week that if I want to ha- go on maternity leave, and even though I'm, I run my own company, like Sweden has one of the world's greatest support systems in place for new parents, paid maternity leave and paternity leave, and you get something insane, like 580 days. <laughs> I'm going to confirm that exact like number, so I'm not lying to you. Okay, I just Googled it to make sure. So we get 480 days, not 580, 480 days 
which is just so beautiful. And you split it. So dads get the same support and the same amount of time as moms. And there's a lot of flexibility around when to take it and how to, like you can choose for yourself if you, you know, if you want to have a lot of time off before the baby's born, or if you want to wait and take it later or who goes to work and who doesn't like, it's really beautiful. And I'm of course very excited to be a part of the system now in my, when I had Leia, I wasn't, I had no maternity leave. <laughs> I had zero days off <laughs> and I just kept working and was just like working so, so, so hard with her in my arms and with her on my hip. And that was just it. And now I'm really excited to actually be on maternity leave. And I'm wondering like, how is that going to be different from my life right now? Seeing as literally all I do right now is record this podcast <laughs> and some minor little stuff. Like I'm doing lives for yogagirl.com, very sweet and calm, gentle ones. Like on Saturday, we have a live tea ceremony, which I'm really excited about. No handstand classes or power yoga classes for me right now. Um, but yeah, maybe you want to join tea ceremony. It's Saturday. You can go to yogagirl.com to sign up. So I'm doing that. And then I have like little tiny stuff here and there, you know, work and company related, but I am not, I don't, I'm, I'm not taking on any projects. I'm not starting anything new. I'm just pregnant and nesting and looking forward to being on maternity leave with this new baby, <laughs> which is going to be so new and wonderful. And I found out I don't know what I was thinking. I, 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 like my friend was like, wait, you were just going to like birth this baby at home alone. And then what, like go to the IRS <laughs> or go to the state, like built government building and like present the baby, like in the Lion King <laughs> and then expect to get like maternity pay. <laughs> and I was like, that actually sounds really cool. Like I, I kind of want to do that. Like, let's just do it that way. Like, I love it. It's like, no, like, obviously you need to tell, you need to register that you're pregnant and like, they need to know the date that you're giving birth so that there's like an, yeah. So there's a whole, of course, like there's bureaucracy around this. So I had to go to a midwife. I had to make an appointment at a midwife and go to an actual midwife to get this certification that I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> which I fucking hated doing. Like I really, I, I don't know. I resist being a name on a list, you know? And then I had to fill in these forms and I, and I could, there was, there was options. Like if I leave samples, I guess if I would leave blood or urine or I, I don't know what they want from me, do I consent to that being stored in like the bio database? I was like, nope. <laughs> I don't want them keeping my blood. Like I'm, I'm one of those conspiracy theorist people now who like, <laughs> I'm sitting with my silver, like my aluminum foil hat and my like silver blanket. And I'm like, don't, don't look at me. <laughs> and there was another question. Do I want to be part of the statistical, uh, the statistical bureaus, whatever? Yeah. Like they keep just data of, of you and, and your, your, your pregnancy. I was like, nope, I don't want to be. So then this midwife was like, oh, I see here you opted out of a lot of things. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really, yeah, I, I'm not really interested in that. Like, I'm really just here because like, I really want to get like maternity pay and I have my own company and, you know, I'm, I'm, but I, I don't really want to do any exams and stuff. And she was like, oh, I get the feeling you don't really want to be here. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> she was actually so 
sweet and so kind. Like I actually had a very good experience with her. It was just like a local midwife I found here close to our house. And we ended up having a really good talk. And I just shared, like, I, I'm going to birth this baby at home. I want it to be minimally invasive. I don't want to do all the sonograms and exams. I don't want anyone to measure my belly. I don't want to leave my blood. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do anything that there isn't like a medical reason or whatever. I don't know what that would be. Like something that I feel is wrong and I need support in. I just don't want to. And she was like, well, the good news is like you don't have to. Like most people just come and they do all the stuff because that's what the system is. Um, and then she started telling me a lot of things. She's like, you know, if, if I compare my work now to 10, 15 years ago, we do so many more invasive things and things that used to be very rare and that we would never even mention to parents if it wasn't applicable now come as standard. And of course, everything is optional. You can opt out of anything. They're not forcing people to do stuff. But when it comes from your medical provider, <laughs> it's not it's not really like the, the power balance there isn't really even. And this is what I've been trying to kind of like share my views on a little bit, that even though everything is optional, if it's suggested by a doctor or a medical provider, you are going to assume that it's necessary. And she was explaining to me that there's a lot of really early tests, like early ultrasound that's combined with an early blood test to, to see if your baby might have, might have, it doesn't prove it, but might have, um, might have Down syndrome or might have something like that. And she said, a few years ago, we never did these tests. We did this if there was hereditary reasons in the family, like if there was a history of Down syndrome in the family, then we did these tests. And now everyone wants them and everyone wants them because they have been suggested, you know, we suggest them and then everyone wants them and then they hear everyone else has them. And then of course, you know, but actually they are very unnecessary. And then, and then she said, and actually we shouldn't expose the baby to too many sonograms and too much ultrasound and the research and science is still inconclusive of what it means to expose the baby to too much of that. So if it can be avoided, it should be avoided and we should just choose it for when we really want or need it. You know, anyway, we ended up having a good discussion, a good conversation. She didn't make me feel like I was crazy, which was a big relief. <laughs> And, um, yeah, and I'm going to get my little certificate now that says I'm pregnant. So I don't have to hold this baby up like Simba, <laughs> but I can actually just like, you know, get, get maternity pay and all the, all the things that that involves. I had that little, a little checkup, I guess you can call it a checkup, a little conversation and, I have decided, or Dennis and I have decided together that we are going to do one ultrasound in week 20. I think it's going to be 2021. And for him, he has a very different reason for why he wants to do an ultrasound. And he so badly wants it. He so badly wants to know the sex of the baby. And this, of course, is not like a have to. Obviously, we don't have to know that at all. I could totally do without um, I was even contemplating having him not tell me, but I know that that would be just impossible. But I want to know about the placement of my placenta. And I wasn't concerned about this at all. I wasn't even really thinking about it. But just in the past couple of weeks, 
it's now been something on my mind. So there is a very, very, very low risk. It's super uncommon, but it happens. A condition called placenta previa, where the placenta actually covers um, the cervix, the cervical opening, so that the baby has a really hard time or physically in certain cases, very, very rare. I mean, so rare, it's like crazy rare, right? The, not not a common thing that 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 we should be worrying about. But it's been something on my mind. I don't know why it's on my mind. And I just feel like I would feel a big sense of calm and relief knowing that my placenta is where where it wants to be, <laughs> right? And that the conditions for me to to birth this baby without any kind of intervention, that those conditions are perfect, which I feel that they already are. But I, I also have a feeling I'm going to have like a sense of just extra calm. That's That feels like a good thing to bring with me into labor. And it is one of those things that if I, yeah, I, I, I'm really convinced that the absolute best conditions for me to give birth in are the conditions where I am as undisturbed as possible, where I have as little and as few interventions as possible. And when I say intervention, um, I don't just mean having drugs put in your system or being strapped down to like a fetal monitor or um, being induced, right? Or having to go through a C-section. Like I'm not talking about, like those are the things we think of as interventions, like big things. I'm talking about like, measuring the cervix, the cervical opening. Like that's an intervention. It it literally is, you know, taking a woman mid-labor where the body is doing its thing and on the journey toward baby being born and then pausing that process, right? To go lie on your back and to have a strange person or a person that you know a little bit maybe that you may or may not trust, but that you for sure are not going to trust the way you, you know, you trust yourself or your husband or partner and have them insert their, their hand up your vagina, right? <laughs> to see how many centimeters the cervix has, has opened. And I've just done a lot of reading on this and you can do your own. I'm not saying, obviously from how I started this podcast, I feel like I shouldn't have to say that this is all my own thoughts, my own process and my own journey. And I'm not telling anyone what to do. Okay. <sighs> Fuck. I hate that I even said that. Okay. I don't have, I'm not going to say that anymore. Okay. It's just a given. If you're listening to this podcast, you know me, <laughs> we don't have to, we don't have to go down that road of, of me having to explain why I say and how I say what I say. But yeah. So even, even that, that idea that like, we need to know how many centimeters we are. I had my, my first labor was just this total freaking proof of how, unnecessary that was for me and how actually at the end of like when I look back at that labor it was probably the biggest hindrance for me in being able to birth in a calm safe way at home any midwife any person who supports birthing people will tell you that the dilation of the cervix is not linear there's no such thing as you open one centimeter per hour. So if it took you two hours to open two centimeters, in four hours, you should be four. And in 10 hours, you should be 10. Like that is not the case. It is not at all how things work. And anyone who has been present for the birth of a baby will know and tell you this. But still, like in the medical world, it's viewed that way. 
They have a very short window of here is the acceptable time for the time it's allowed to take your cervix to dilate. And we want to know every step of the way where you are so we can tell you if it's too slow, right? Or if it's not happening fast enough. And I'm just like realizing like when I was birthing Leia to like have that happen. And I was of course consenting to this completely willing. There was not like any of the things that came my way happened without my consent. I just didn't know I had an option, right? To have that every couple of hours all throughout a 24 hour birth and then have it like reaffirmed to me that it's not opening. You're not opening. You're not opening. You're not opening. Nothing's happening. Happening. It's not working. I mean, that that specific process of that cervical exam again and again, which is completely standard in labor, right? It's how they measure your progress. Even though it's a very arbitrary idea that isn't even in alignment with reality. So if you're, you haven't dilated so much, they might send you home, right? If you come to the hospital too early, they might tell you it's going to take forever. They might tell you what's happening right now. And it might not. Like, I think if I hadn't had that experience, but if I was just left alone with my own self a little bit more without being told that it's, it's too slow and it's not working, I would have had a really different experience. And I went from 18 hours of nothing's happening, nothing's happening four centimeters, four centimeters to in one hour, I was at 10, right? So what took me like 18 hours, it took me 18 hours to, to, to just be where I was. And then I was left alone. And then in one hour, I dilated the rest of those, whatever, six centimeters. Like it's just, and, and most women can, people can tell you this, that that's just, it's not a linear process. And it's very hard to try to force it to be and I don't want that intervention, right? Like I, I really don't want that intervention for this birth. I don't want anybody checking me <laughs> and I don't want to, especially early on, especially I don't want to have that interruption of another person in that area at all. And the more I read about this, the more I learn about this, the more it makes sense um, that that is not something that is supportive and conducive to a calm, safe feeling labor, where the goal really is to trust your body enough to open at your own time, to work together with the baby and have labor unfold in the way that your body knows how to birth. Like, how can I most support myself and support my body into knowing it's safe, right? It's safe here. Like all of this can unfold in the way it's supposed to. Yeah, having a stranger put their hand up my genital area is not that. Like that, I just know. So for me, it was just really important this time around that if I want to work with a midwife, if I want to have anyone present there that isn't my husband and my daughter, that they are in that same mindset, that they also have that same understanding of what actually is most helpful to have a birth unfold with as minimal, you know, complications as possible and in a way that is as natural and in in accordance with what the body actually wants as possible. And I actually found one. <laughs> I actually found a midwife who is completely hands-off, 
And I asked her, you know, how, how often does she do that like cervical check? And she says, I never do it unless it's asked by the mother. If the birthing woman person wants the, the check and they ask for one, then I'll do it. But I'll never, I'll never urge or encourage or even introduce the idea on my own. And some people really want them, makes them feel like things are moving forward and it can be very, I'm not saying it's bad, like you shouldn't have them ever. Like if, if you want them and that's something that's conducive and supportive to your labor, you should have them, of course. Like everything that feels supportive to you, you should do. And for a lot of people, like I feel most safe and supported at the hospital, then that's what you should do. For me, the whole point of even talking about this is not to make people not want to go to the hospital or, or to, to make people scared of one option over the other, but to feel empowered to choose what's best for us. And for some of us, that's like, I want to have a C-section and that's it. Like, that's what I want. That's what makes me feel safe. Well, then that's what you should do, right? And for some of us, it's, I want to have an unassisted birth at home. Well, then that's what you should do. When we make the choices that we know are right for us, we are going to be in that optimal place to have a birth that's most aligned with what we actually need. And no one else can really make that choice for us. And that's what I feel about this traditional allopathic system is it, it, it takes our choices away by implying that there is only one way to do things, right? By not offering choices, by making things seem like they're not consensual, even though they should be. So, so yeah. And I'm kind of focusing right now just on what I'm like when I'm envisioning a perfect labor and I'm spending a lot of time just feeling into that and trusting into that. I think I really like this midwife that I found. I think I want her present. I've had great conversations with her. And I just said like at the end of my pregnancy, like I'll know if I, <laughs> if I want to hire her or not. Cause you pay out of pocket. Of course, if you, if you're not doing it through the system, but I have, so I have like one vision where I have her as an extra person of support. But then I'm like, would that interfere? I don't know. I really don't know where I where I, where I am with that. And and then I have another version where it's like it would be so lovely for it to be just me and Dennis and Leia, like for just yeah, for for it to be just us, and then no one else is here, and I get to just like go inside of myself and, 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 and do this alone. Like that also feels so good. Like the feeling and the thought of that. And then I also have a, a beautiful vision of like having one of my soul sisters, like one of my best friends here to be with Leia. Cause maybe, I don't know, maybe Leia wants to like flutter in and out. Maybe, maybe I'm going to not want her there for certain parts of labor. I don't know how that's going to, I've never given birth as an, <laughs> with a child by my side, right? Like maybe it would feel really supportive to have someone there who I deeply trust, who can really read the room and like, and you know, so I know that Dennis can focus 110% of his attention on me and Leia doesn't have to, yeah, I don't want to compromise her presence with her, right? So when I feel into the like most perfect birth, I see a version where it's just me and Dennis and Leia there and I see one version where maybe there's, Maybe there's a midwife, maybe there's a best friend to like hold Leia and be kind of Leia's pillar at that time, you know, as well, because it's, it's a really emotional day, right? 
And then I have another vision where like, (laughs) where I'm outside in the garden and I just kind of like do first phase and stage of labor, just kind of on my own (laughs) in nature. Uh, I, I really don't know. And I'm sharing all of this full well knowing that like on the journey and on the way here, anything can happen right? Anything can happen. I ended up in the hospital with Leah. It was the last thing I thought. I had a doula then, a friend of mine, Kelly, when I like kind of broke at the end. I think I was, I should have been close to transition at that time. Like, I don't know. It was just like the hardest part of labor where I just mentally, not physically, but mentally, I just broke down. And I said, I can't do this. Something's wrong with my body. It's taking too long. It's not opening. I, I, I need to go to the hospital. And Kelly like squatted down and looked me in the eye and she was like, Rachel, you don't want this. And I'm like, I know, but I have to go. Like, I just felt like I, yeah, I was convinced that I, I couldn't do it. Like something must be wrong or I wouldn't be at four centimeters still. Right. And of course I found out after that, that that's not strange at all. Like it's not at all, at all. There's not an anomaly to spend 18 hours in labor and be at four, send it me like it's not at all for your first birth at all. Nothing strange, nothing was wrong, you know. So anyway, <laughs> this time around, I just have this feeling of, yeah, anything of course can happen. And I think it's a really beautiful way to approach it is envision and dream and really hold what you truly want. Ask for what you truly want ask your people, ask your community. If you have a medical provider, ask them, tell them, ask the universe for what you want and then be open for the fact that 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 might not be the case, right? We never know where labor is going to take us. We never know where pregnancy is going to take us. Like I have no idea what the, what the end of this journey is going to look like. I just feel very, very strongly about what I don't want for right now. And right now I don't want all this stuff. (laughs) I just want to, I just want to be here on the farm, <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> and I, I don't also don't think that that should be such a controversial, crazy thing. I don't know. At some point it's like, I think we've lost sight a little bit of, of what birth can be. And we spend so much time as a society focusing on how horrible and unsafe it can be. Although most births are safe, like really. And the less interventions you have, the less likely you are to end up with a major one that you didn't want. And I just feel so good about walking down the road of just least disturbance. Like that's what it feels like. The least disturbance. Yeah, no one... We, last time with Leia, because I was so overdue, <laughs> they did this, I, I forget the word in English. Yes, the sweeping of the membranes. I don't want that. <laughs> I really don't want that. Oh, God. Um, she And the person who did that, uh, I think that was week 41 or something, it was a woman, she was wearing cowboy boots. I remember so well. Dennis was like, I was so angry when we were there at that appointment. I was just so upset with that woman. And he just remembers it very vividly, like the cowboy boot woman <laughs> that we saw. 
at 41 to do the sweeping of the membranes, which is something that you do to like encourage labor to happen faster, which is also like a major intervention, right? You're encouraging. I read something really good just from one of the like free birthing accounts that I follow, which is that just everything we do that isn't spontaneous labor is premature labor. <laughs> it just really shifted my view that that even if you are like you're 41 weeks pregnant and you're like walking up and downstairs and eating spicy food and eating pineapple and drinking castor oil and like doing crazy stuff that that doesn't feel great because you're like, I have to hurry up, hurry up. Like all of that is premature labor. Even if you have your baby week 42 and you like forced it to get there, you know, you like made that happen. Like that is everything that isn't spontaneous labor is premature labor. And I just love that idea. <laughs> just that viewpoint. It's like a very rare thing to hear. Oh, right. The whole idea of a baby being premature and this is how many days you get. And after that, they've been in there for too long. Like that is such a bizarre thing. It's a truly bizarre idea, you know? But wait, what led me to this? Oh yeah, so the cowboy boot lady, we did the sweeping of the membranes. I was 41 weeks pregnant and she said, you're going to have to be induced tomorrow. You have today to go into labor. So you better get home. You better hurry up. You better do all the things because tomorrow 8 a.m. you're going to be induced. And I was like, fuck no. I'm like, I was so, like the way she talked and she wasn't even my, like I hadn't met her before. She was a new person on this whole journey. And she just was like telling me orders tomorrow, 8 a.m. I was like, fuck that. Like, no. And I just knew so intuitively, like she wasn't ready to come out. It wasn't her time at all. She didn't feel overdue at all. Um, Overdue, such, such bullshit, overdue, fuck that. And I just was, I was pissed. And then she said, I can't remember how she phrased it, but she said, Every day past your due date, um, you increase the risk of a stillborn baby by so-and-so percent. I looked that shit up afterwards. It was a lie, complete complete bullshit. She literally told a 41-week pregnant woman lying down in this vulnerable position. You know when you're lying down, vulva hanging out, like, you know, the whole, like, like, and then have things like that told to you in such a vulnerable physical position and emotional position, of course, basically that like I'm, I'm, I'm putting my baby's life at risk. I have never been so angry in my life. Like I can't remember what I said. If I lashed out at her, if I snapped at her, if I left, like I just, I've kind of blocked that whole thing out. But Dennis still vividly remembers how angry I was with the lady in the cowboy boots. And, um, you know, and when when a baby is, and I heard this, like I did a lot of reading about this when I reached week 42, that like technically, like if a baby is really overdue, they don't have so much water left. They look a certain way. They can get really wrinkly. They like lose the vernix. I think that's one of the things that, you know, the vernix, the little white yellow thing that coats the baby because um, it soaks into the skin. Like certain things happen. I can't remember if there was something with the nails. I don't know that if, and when Leah came out, she didn't have any of those things. Like she didn't have any sign that she wasn't at the exact perfect moment. Like she had a perfect amount of vernix. She was rosy and pink. <laughs> she was like, just like so perfect. Just came out, opened her eyes and like said hi. Like didn't even cry. It was just like such a perfect time. And had she come a week early, she would have been early. Like she wasn't ready to be born. 
And yeah, that sweeping of the membranes. And now I'm really curious, like, am I going to have a baby born in like week 37 now, just because I've been so, it, it was such a big deal for me to be, to have the ba- Leia later. <laughs> or is it going to be the same? Or is it like, it's all such a, a surprise, right? Every step of this journey is like unboxing a little gift. Like we have no idea what's around the corner. We have to just completely surrender and completely give ourselves up to something greater. Like we can't control every aspect of this. We can't force it to be in this way that we would prefer to have it. We just have to surrender and let go and let God. And it's this thing that one one of the most spiritually expansive experiences that we can have. Not saying that if you're not going to be pregnant or have a baby, you can't have unbelievable spiritual experiences, of course. And this one, you know, being pregnant and giving birth, it's just, it's a really big one. And we can choose to treat it that way and treat it as this, as the sacred, sacred thing it is. Or we can treat it like a sickness. We can treat it like something's wrong with us. We can treat it like it's unsafe and bad. We can treat it like we have no choice or agency or control. We can, you know, put our power in the hands of strangers and say, well, you do it. And I think, at least for me, it's it's not the way. And I want to, um, just sitting here like holding my belly again, like this little baby. I don't know what it is about being pregnant for me, but I also, I, I believe in, that when we are pregnant, we are really tapping into the spirit of this soul. And I felt with Leia, she was very like out there, extroverted, fierce, and, like very brave, complete opposite of shy. You know, she's the most, like I felt in the womb, like she had the personality that she has today. Like she was all, already, I could feel her exactly how she is now. And she brought that to me in a way. Like I really felt like I could chop someone's head off with my words. <laughs> like I just have to speak the truth. I didn't have, you know, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't have this feeling like I have now of like, ooh, I need to like slow down and get more quiet and, and protect. And like, I'm definitely sensing this, the energy of this baby. He, he's, if it's a he, I don't know, but he's, he's more introverted he's more shy. He's more quiet, like wanting something different of me. He doesn't want me to be on TV talking about him, you know, which I felt with Leia. I was like, Hey, hello, what's up? Hi everybody. <laughs> like she's really like that. And I just have a deep feeling that this is not that, you know, that this is, this is, this is different. It's a different spirits, different person, different human. And I want to honor also like his, energy and wishes in all of this, which is more about retreating than <laughs> adventuring, <laughs> which is what I felt with with Leia. Isn't it fascinating? Oh, holy shit, this whole thing is so fascinating. And I want to just close this pod saying that however you've done it, however you've birthed, and we all have, I think in each one of our births. There's beauty and there's pain, right? There's, of course, there's beauty and pain. There's obviously beauty and pain, but right, there are things that there's moments of just complete flow and abundance. And we remember them with so much joy and love. And then there's moments that were, you know, scary or hard or traumatic or 
there's a lot to unpack there. And when we get really triggered by other people's choices, or we get really triggered by listening to someone tell their story, like chances are there is something that is left to be felt inside, right? Like, I think many of us have things left to process from previous labors and maybe previous lifetimes. You know, we, as women, we've been doing this for eons and looking back at time, it hasn't always been the most supportive, safe thing, right? To be a woman, to be pregnant, to give birth. And I think when we are in this stage of our lives, we can call on our ancestors for support. We can heal now what needed to be healed then by choosing differently and you know, doing it the way we want to and making sure we feel safe in the way we deserve to feel safe. Now we can heal past experiences. I really so deeply believe in that. Hmm. So just, you know, you taking really good care of yourself right now, whether you're pregnant or a new mom, or you have grown up kids, or you don't have kids at all, you don't want kids, or you're not there yet, or whatever amazing choice you have made for your own amazing life. It's like you taking good care of yourself in the stage of life you're in now heals past times. Like it really, really, really does. Just remember that your birth is sacred. Your life is sacred. If you choose to have a baby, your pregnancy is sacred. Your body is sacred. Your heart is sacred. Your life, the way you live it right now is sacred. And sometimes we just need to be reminded to treat it as such. And then find that that way of doing things that feels most safe for us and that makes most sense for us. And only we know what that actually is. <laughs> so I want to thank you. <laughs> Me and little, little kumquat, Dennis is calling this baby kumquat for I don't know why. <laughs> I'm calling him little son. Leia's calling him baby mainly. Thank you for listening here and for sending us love and for yeah, just holding the space for me to share. As always, I so, so appreciate it. Have a beautiful rest of this day. Enjoy the weekend. And from the heart, we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week.